Well, again, good morning. It's great to be in worship together today. Our lectionary text, which if you're new here this morning, you might not know we're as a church just following our, <clears throat> our way through something called the Common Lectionary, which is a set of texts that are studied worldwide every Sunday. And our text for this week is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And throughout my life, I have had John 10, 10 written on a piece of paper, a post-it note slapped inside of my Bible since I was in college. It's been a source of great encouragement and great joy to me throughout so many places in my life. And so when I realized that's what we got to talk about today, I got all fired up. So I'm hoping that you'll find it exciting too. And what we're going to do together is follow along while I read for us um, from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. And the scripture's on the screens if you'd like to follow along. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they all follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Other interpretations of that passage say that Jesus came to give a full life, an abundant life, a life filled with purpose and meaning. And what we are going to talk about today is what that full life with Christ looks like. I don't know about you, but I often define the rich, full, satisfying life by a list of things that I think I want to make my life work the way it should. I'd like enough cash to take a nice spring break. I'd like to drive a car that doesn't break down. I'd like to have my mortgage covered without too much stress like to cover college tuition. I'd like to be fat and happy on holidays, right? These are the sorts of things that perhaps many of us assume when we start talking about a rich, full life. But the reality is that what God means when he says a rich and full life is so different than the things we chase after often. And any of you who remember your childhood or you who are parents here today will know that, you know, sometimes we tell our kids no, right, to things that they think might be rich and satisfying. Cookies for breakfast, you know, um, driving the car before you're 16, you know, I don't know, whatever it is that a kid may ask for. My daughter, who's six years old, every time we go to the grocery store, knows where the Entenmann's pile is on the floor in the jewel, and will actually throw three to four boxes of donuts in the cart every single time. I don't know they're there, but that's a rich and satisfying life to her, is donuts. My seven-year-old doesn't like to get up in the morning. I understand that. 
He freaks out um, on most mornings and pitches a fit when I say, now it's time for shoes, get your lunch, get your backpack, brush your teeth, comb your hair. And the other morning he looked at me, he goes, well, who put you in charge? <laughs> I was like, child, we need to have a talk. Um, Right? I mean, sometimes, though, have you ever said that to God? When you didn't get the full satisfying thing that you thought you were going to get? Well, who put you in charge? Right? I mean, I know what a full and satisfying life is. I know what abundance is. You, God of the universe, who put you in charge? You know, Jesus is not about making us comfortable and happy. He's about giving us an abundant life in him which is dramatically different than the way most of us operate when we think of fullness. You know, the context here for this passage is interesting. If you look back, if you go home and study this, you'll want to start actually with John chapter 9. Jesus had just performed a miracle. He had just healed a blind man. It's the passage where he scooped up a bunch of dirt and he spit in it, and he rubbed it over the eyes of a man who'd been blind from birth. And he healed him. He gave him sight And of course, this man is elated and his family, they're all there and everybody is all sold out for Jesus, right? In that moment, because they saw this great healing and the religious leaders and the authorities of the day who were out to get Jesus questioned the miracle. And they argued with this, this person, this man who had just received his sight and they were arguing with Jesus and there was a crowd gathered and Jesus pops up and this is the scene from which the statement he makes comes. And he says, those of you, you Pharisees, you people who think you have it all together, you people who put the full and abundant life in the way things look, in the way things you think are supposed to be, that is not full at all. You are thieves and you are coming to destroy. When you study in scripture, the actual word itself that's used for full and abundance The definition in the Greek language means exceedingly, abundantly, supremely, vehemently, excessively, highly over and above anything that's necessary. It's this word that almost sounds like an explosion when you read the definition. And what Jesus is making here is not a qualitative statement about the quality of life. He's actually making a quantitative statement. I'm going to give you so much life. You're, you're going to explode from how much life I'm going to give you. You actually can't outlive your life. That's how much life I'm going to give you. So much life that when you're physically gone from this place, it goes for all eternity. That's what a full life is. And while we're at it here on earth, we're going to help each other live the fullest lives we can here. We're going to help each other live those eternal, exceeding, abundant lives. This passage is famous for the shepherd imagery that comes with it. And Jesus as the gate and the shepherd. And that is all marvelous and wonderful and and worth studying. But the thing that I want us to take home with us today is that exceedingly abundant, full life the quantitative statement of just how much life we actually have when we stop and look at the right kind of life that God has for us. Not whether or not we got what we wanted out of the deal, but whether or not we have so much of God in us that we outlive ourselves. 
And I don't know about you, but when I get to a place where I have to make a decision on what a life with God might look like in a place where I might be asked to speak with courage and with hope and speak into places of darkness and bring justice, that takes courage. You know, to live a full life is a courageous act. Faith is not passive. You know, sometimes we relegate these church conversations to the back shelf. You know, almost every American, over 90% of Americans say they have a copy of the Bible in their homes, but most of them just kind of shove it on the shelf. It's sort of this nice, pleasant thing we do at Christmas and Easter. You know, I, you know, no faith is active. It invites you every single day to step up into the full life and take whatever courageous actions you need to take to bring that life to the full. Amelia Earhart once said that courage is how you achieve this. She says, courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace. The soul that knows it not, the soul that knows courage not, knows no release from little things, knows no release from the things we thought we wanted and we didn't get. Courage steps up into bringing peace and justice and the love of God to others. Over and over and over, my friends, in scripture, the word courageous is used. If you want to read up on courage, flip open the book of Joshua over and over and over again. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, strong and courageous. So much so that sometimes you read it, you're like, I know, strong and courageous. Let's keep going. Let's get to the meat of the story here, right? I mean, God just says it over and over and over again. To live a full life is to live a life with courage and action. And this, you know, we've joked on staff is sort of the girl power morning. It's Mother's Day and uh, my male colleagues, um, you know, kind of poke fun at it. But I always remind them in a couple weeks, we'll get the grills and the sports cars going and it'll be their morning, right? But today, I'd like to give you some examples of women in scripture who lived with this sort of courage. And, you know, in our culture today, sometimes we miss the fact that in many places around the world, women don't get to make bold moves. And historically, women often never made a bold move. You know, I get, I get to stand up here, praise the Lord. I've been given the opportunity, and I, I take it humbly to, to speak, to, to use my voice. Our girls go to school. We, we can be lawyers, brain surgeons, whatever it is. You can run for president. It wasn't so in biblical times. And whenever you read a story about a woman in scripture, you need to remember she was considered nothing by most of the people in her culture and her community. Women could be abandoned, cast aside, thrown into poverty. There was very little regard for them. If you had a son, well, you were something. If all you had were daughters, best of luck to you. This is the world that the stories God wanted us to know about women came from. And so when you see a female in scripture standing up and doing something courageous, she risked her very life to do it. In Exodus chapters one and two, many of us know the story of Moses, right? If you get your, you know, kind of Charlton Heston on, right? You've got the story of Moses, the 10 commandments. But what maybe we've missed along the way is bringing Moses up took five women that God used so that he could do the life that was laid out for him. The Pharaoh of Egypt had Hebrew slaves 
And those slaves were getting large in number, so much so that Pharaoh was starting to get stressed out. What if they outnumber us? What if they mount some sort of coup or revolution? We better diminish their numbers. And so the Pharaoh tells all the Hebrew midwives to kill the boys as soon as they are born. And there are two Hebrew midwives in Exodus who refuse to do this in the act of civil disobedience. And the Pharaoh calls them. He says, what's going on here? Why are the boys living? And the, the midwives, they make up this little lie. They're like, I don't know. These Hebrew women, they just give birth so fast. We can't even get there. And these boys live. And so Pharaoh says, you know what? Then, you know what? Forget about just killing them at birth. Throw them in the river. He says, throw them in the river. Exodus chapter one and two. And then you get the scene where Moses, his mother, gives birth to him. And instead of drowning him in the river, she puts him in a basket. And her sister, another woman, stands by and watches, doesn't call her out, doesn't say, are you sure you're supposed to be doing that? Aren't you supposed to kill that kid? Right? Her sister stands there and they send him down the river where Pharaoh's own daughter picks the boy up out of the river and looks at him, recognizes instantly it's a Hebrew child. And instead of drowning him like her father would have wanted her to do, she lets him live and raises that boy up in Pharaoh's own house. Talk about courage, right? If you flip through the pages, I mean, Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? We know this story from Christmas. She's a pregnant teenager. God says, you're going to bear my son. And she says, may it be so. That took courage in a culture where she should have been killed for being pregnant. She wasn't married yet. You know, Mary and Martha, where would a day where we honor women be without some mention of Mary and Martha, right? And what does Jesus say to them? Martha's in the kitchen cooking up a storm and she's angry because her sister Mary isn't helping her. And Jesus says, you know what, Martha, that's great if you love to cook, but you know what, Mary chose what's right. She's sitting here learning. I'm only here in this world for a short time. And Mary came to sit at my feet and use her mind and learn. And you can do that too. And finally, there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's the story of a woman named Abigail. Abigail's married to a man named Nabal. Scripture describes him as surly. I decided that's my new favorite adjective. (laughs) Love that word, surly. He's a thick-headed monster of a guy who's just ruthless. And King David is owed a favor by Nabal, and he takes his army and basically comes to collect the favor, and Nabal says, David never heard of him. (laughs) I'm not going to honor my end of the bargain. And David is young and prone to violence at this time in his life. And he says, well, you know what? I'm going to kill everybody in that house. Kill them all. I'm going to shed blood everywhere. And Nabal's wife, Abigail, doesn't want to let that happen. She disobeys her husband, which could have been a penalty for death. And she goes out to meet a king bent on violence and basically meets him on the road, which could have cost her life as well, and says, hey, 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 what are you doing? You don't want this innocent blood on your hands. And she brokers an entire deal that leaves her family unscathed. Courage comes out in scripture over and over again by men and women. God uses them to bring about his full life to others.
And I remember years ago when one of the very best friends I have, some of you may know her, a woman named Amy McCurry. She worships here. And she and her husband gave birth to their second child, a daughter. And when we went to the hospital, we were all, you know, yay, you had a baby. And she said, yay, you know, yes, I did. She goes, you know, things are a little different than we thought. We, we didn't realize until now that um, this, this daughter we just had has Down syndrome. And so it's going to be a little bit of a different ride than we thought. And Amy actually worked with children with special needs before she had her daughter and knew that her daughter would never be able to actually say the name they had picked for her because of the way her consonants and vowels would actually come out of her mouth as she grew up. And so they decided to wait to give her a name because they wanted her to be able to say her name. And they chose the name Abigail to give to her. And Amy, interestingly, had never read the story of Abigail in scripture. And so it was my great joy to go sit at the foot of her bed, the hospital, and say, can I tell you how strong and courageous this child you just birthed is going to be? And if you've ever met little Abby McCurry, who's nine and a half years old now, she is one of the strongest and courageous little things you've ever met. God fills us with courage to do the things that he has laid out before us. The full life doesn't look like we think it does. The full life looks like living up into Jesus and finding the strength to do the things of God every single day that we can. The word in courage You know, it means to put into, the E-N means to put into, that is to put somebody into courage. The word encourage is the word parakaleo. It's used 150 times in the New Testament. Read the New Testament letters of Paul and Timothy and Peter. Like, they're all, be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged, be encouraged. It's what we're told over and over and over again in Scripture. Be encouraged encouraged. Do the things of God. Do not be afraid. I think sometimes that the gift that I have sometimes to contribute to the kingdom of God is that I can be an encourager. Probably too much so sometimes. I'm like, hey, everybody, let's do this. You know, maybe we weren't even all supposed to do that, but I love to encourage people anyway. And I used to think that the real, you know, gifts were the people that had the guitars and the microphones, the Chads and the Stephanies. I think that I secretly want to be a rock star, <laughs> you know, or, or, or Dan, right? I mean, he's, he's like fancy and has a doctorate, right? Like he's, that's the real spiritual gift. But you know what? Encouraging is a spiritual gift listed in scripture. Some of you, your primary gifting that God gave you is to encourage other people, All of us have some encouragement in us to offer others. It is one of the things that God calls us to do, to encourage other people. And what do the the gospel writers say in the the, the Paul? They say encourage each other toward what? Toward the good end, toward the end that God has for us, toward justice and hope and mercy and worship of God and toward that exploding life that we get to outlive. We stand behind one another. We push each other on toward good things. That is the invitation that we find here when Jesus says, I want you to have life to the full. I want you to have courage to do the things that I have laid out before you and to encourage one another 
toward that end. My daughter last summer when she was five went off the diving board for the big first time, which is, you know, big stuff in the world of little kids. And when she stood near the end of the board and she had her two brothers behind her, they're like, go on, Lily, you can do it. And she kind of took a step and she looked back at them. She took another step, you know, looked back and they kept, you know, you can do it. You can do it. I think they were partially motivated by the middle school kids behind them that were like, get your sister off the board. We all, you know, she spent a few minutes up there, right? She finally just went for it. She jumped in. I mean, that, that's, that it's such a simple illustration, but like, that's it, right? I mean, how many of you have found your heartbeat go up a little bit when you read a certain passage or you pray a certain prayer or you see a commercial or you see a ministry or a missionary and you're like, oh my gosh, if I don't do something about that, like I'm going to miss out on what God's doing. And maybe somebody else came alongside you and just said, hey, you know that thing that like you think you can do, you, you can do that. Let me encourage you toward God's good end. Men and women alike, we need encouragement and we need to be encouragers women often need maybe a little extra nudge along the way i can say that today right because it's mother's day you know around the world we live in a world where i don't know if you've been following the news that you can go steal a whole school room full of girls in nigeria and sell them for 12 bucks that's what happened in africa this month nigeria right we live in a world where that happens the Atlantic, uh, Dan actually shared this with staff. The Atlantic came out, Atlantic Monthly came out with an article recently called The Confidence Gap. And that men and women, when they're equally gifted, women will hold back and lack confidence to go after things that men will often go guns blazing for. They did a study that found that a guy will apply for a job or a promotion if he meets 60% of the qualifications. He'll say, I could do that. A woman will wait till she meets 100% of the qualifications or she won't go after the job in most situations. And Eric Jyoti goes, so is the end goal a bunch of overconfident people? (laughs) No. (laughs) Right? But how do we encourage people into confidence to do the things that God has set aside for them to do. We need to encourage one another. UN General Secretary Kofi Annan once said this. He said, there is no development tool, no development tool more powerful to eradicate poverty than the education of girls and the empowerment of women. When women get behind something, the things that God has given them to do soar. Yes, that happens for men too. It should happen for all of us on an equal basis. That's what God says. Jesus says, Paul says there is no male or female, right? In Christ Jesus. But sometimes we need to encourage one another in different places and in different ways. And women are change makers. They are change makers. You want to get drunk driving under control? Get a bunch of moms to start mothers against drunk driving. You want to get slaves freed? Find yourself a Harriet Tubman. You want to bring social justice to our cities and our communities? Find yourself a Jane Adams, right? We can encourage one another to do good things and good work in the name of Jesus. Recently, if you saw uh, any of uh, the media this week or followed it on YouTube, you would know that Kevin Durant uh, recently just won the um, MVP. He's the NBA MVP. 
And um, I, uh, Bill Clark actually showed me this video this week, and I was in his office, like, crying over this video. He does an acceptance speech, this giant, burly NBA player who can throw down on a basketball court and who can do amazing athletic things, in his acceptance speech, just breaks into tears, thanking his mom, a woman named Wanda Pratt, for all the courage it took to bring him up into the man that he became. He said, you kept us off the street. You put clothes on our backs. You put food on the table. He said, when you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. And then he looked at her and he said, mom, you're the real MVP. And the interviewer said, you know, it's easy for us ticket buyers and NBA watchers to see a player and picture them as just a high definition avatar and to pass judgment on him and say he's not a success unless he wins a championship. And then the interviewer said, it's another thing altogether when you meet that guy's mother, (laughs) right? I mean, moms are encouragers. Men are encouragers too. One of the things that moms are really gifted at is encouraging their children towards God's good end. And Pratt was a 21-year-old single mom with two kids who raised up boys in the way they should go. And that can serve as an encouragement to all of us to raise ourselves up and bring our lives forward into the fullness that God is pointing us toward. So what's the point, right? Right? You know, that's a nice story about the NBA, but like, what, what, are we, what are we getting at here? First of all, be encouraged. Wherever you are today, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. Be encouraged. God has a full life for you. And if it's not going how you thought it was all going to go down, maybe that's because there's something better God has for you. Eternal, abundant life. Be encouraged. And be an encourager. Take time. Pray for somebody. Love on them. Find, especially on this day, your mom, your daughter, your sister, your niece. Give a girl a pat on the back. Give a woman a high five. Encourage her toward God's good end. Encourage the men among us too. Together we can be encouraged into Christ Jesus to live into that full life. Ask God who you can cheer on. It is no mistake that that word appears so many times in scripture. It's what we're meant to do. It's how we get to the end result. It's how we get to the full life in Christ. Amen. To close with this poem, um, Maya Angelou, most of you probably know who she is. She said this in an interview for the Harvard Business Review. When asked about her mother, she said, I would say my mother encouraged me to develop courage. And she taught me by being courageous herself. She said, after years after my mother has left, I think becoming courageous is that I realized that one isn't born with courage. She said, one develops it. And you develop it by doing small, courageous things in the same way that you wouldn't set out to pick up a 100-pound bag of rice If that was your goal, you'd be advised to pick up a five-pound bag and then a 10 and then a 20 and so forth until you built up enough muscle to actually pick up 100 pounds. And it's the same way with courage. You develop courage 
by doing courageous things, small things, but things that cost you mental exertion. And then she said, spiritual exertion as well. Courage to live into the fullness that God gave you. Step up into it. Do the small things that result in that life that explodes. A life that you will never outlive. A life of courage in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of courage that you gave us one another, that you offered us friendships and relationships and communities and neighbors and best friends and families to encourage us. Thank you for both the men and the women among us who have encouraged us in our lives. And help us, God, find our way towards your fullness, Lord. It takes courage to step out into that abundant life that is oozing with the goodness, exploding with the glory of who you are. We thank you. We praise you. We offer this all in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you.